Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Coolangatta podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us in our series, First Peter, Hope in the Midst of Suffering. In this series, we will discover how to experience hope within suffering through learning how to embrace love, submission, and identity in the midst of challenges as we follow the example of Christ. We pray that this message is a blessing. Well, good morning, church. How is everyone this morning? Everyone doing okay? Hey, I'd really love to encourage you to sign up for Alpha. Alpha is a really important and amazing ministry that we run here at New Life Coolangatta. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. It's a setup question, so be warned. Who of you has someone who doesn't know Jesus and would love them to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Yeah, there's a few of us, right? There's all people in our lives that we would love to see them redeemed and restored by the blood of Christ. And I just really encourage you, invite them along to Alpha. It's an easy place to invite them to. And if you're going to invite them, say, I'd love to do the journey with you. Because it's really hard to invite someone to a program like Alpha on their own. It's a bit confronting. But if you say, hey, I'm doing Alpha, I'd love you to come and do this journey with me. There's way more chance that people will come and do it with you. And you can just do the first night, first night to try Alpha night, so you're not locking in for anything. So I really encourage you to invite someone to Alpha. And let's see what God can do in and through that. Amen? Awesome. So if I've not met you, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life Cooley, and we're in our final week on our series on the first letter of Peter, and we've been going for eight weeks now. We've been going for a while. And the title of this sermon series is Hope in the Midst of Suffering. This is what Peter is teaching us, that we have a hope even though we suffer through all the different trials in life. And Peter was the disciple of Jesus, so he lived with Jesus day to day for about three and a half years. So Peter was directly taught by Jesus. He was rebuked by Jesus. He was loved by Jesus. So he has this really unique insight in how we're meant to live as followers of Jesus too. And I love it because Peter's a realist, right? He's a practical kind of guy. And I love how he makes things that seem hard to understand really easy to understand. He, he digs into the truth to help us understand what it means to live these out. And Peter doesn't hide from the truth. He just calls it as it is, warts and all. And this week, Peter actually turns his attention to the church to wrap up this letter. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 11 today. It says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you, make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power 
forever and ever. Amen. Before I get into the word today, I'd love to pray. Would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for for Peter, for this letter. We've learned so much through his insight and how we're meant to live as followers of you, Jesus. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this scripture. I pray that you would help me preach it with truth and grace and love. Lord, that in the end, they wouldn't look to me. They'd only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. So a couple of weeks ago, I had to do a lecture at one of our Catalyst retreats. Now, Catalyst is a year-long intensive discipleship journey that people go on with our church, where they dedicate a year to actually dig into who God is, dig into his presence, dig into what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how we live that out in our lives, how we lead others around us to this love and grace that we find in Jesus. And I had to go do one of the lectures at one of their retreats, and my lecture was on character in leadership. And so I started with this exercise. I said to them, okay, I want you to tell me, I'm going to write it up on this whiteboard, all the good characteristics you want in your leader. Someone who leads you, what characteristics do you want to see in them? And so they started yelling things out like, oh, we want them to be honest. We want them to be integrous. We want them to be caring. We want them to be a good communicator. And it just kept going and going and going. And I thought there was only going to be, you know, 10 or 12 of the major ones. And they kept going. And there were things like being witty or being flexible, modest, empathetic, forgiven, p- forgiving, persistent, quiet, thorough, positive, like funny, and all these things. And as I stood there, I had to stop them because I'm like, all right, all right, there's no more room on the board. We need to move on. And I looked at that list and I went, wow, leadership is hard. There's a big weight and expectation on leaders, right? And I turned to the students and I went, now recognizing that's what people expect from you, who wants to be a leader now? And there was this combined, oh. Yeah, maybe not. But here's the thing. This is what we expect from our leaders. We expect them to be perfect in all these things, and that's the weight that they carry. And when they stumble in one of them, we reject them. We judge them. We dishonor them. We say they shouldn't be like that, even though we're we're a little bit like that. And guess what? Satan loves it when we do that. Satan loves it when we judge one another. And this is what Paul is addressing here in this portion of text. He's teaching about the responsibility of leadership in the church and then how we, the church, are meant to respond to the leadership. But he's also teaching that there's an enemy to the church. He wants to bring disunity and destruction and distract the church to make it ineffective for the kingdom of God. So he starts in verse 1. He says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. And he starts here, to the elders among you. He's talking about this fact that there there is eldership in a church, that God wants leadership in the church, and there's this little bit pushback these days because of leadership in the church, and I understand that. There have been many leaders in the church that have hurt many sheep in the flock, So I just want to acknowledge that straight up. Some of you have been hurt. Some of you have been hurt deeply because of bad leadership. But the Bible is very clear from the fact that the church 
is to have an established leadership to help shepherd the flock. There's numerous passages in the New Testament that use the words elder or overseer or pastor, and they all refer to the same kind of office. So overseers and pastors, they're not distinct from elders, but they're simply terms to identify the same kind of people. And elders are people who jointly shepherd the local body of believers. And in 1 Timothy, we get the requirements of an elder or requirements of a pastor. You see, Paul is actually speaking to Timothy, a young pastor, and he's like, go wherever you go, set up eldership in these areas. Wherever churches are planted, set up eldership. And he goes, these are the requirements for an elder. He says, here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. He starts with this reality that there should be leadership in the church. He says, here is a trustworthy saying. Like whoever desires to be a pastor or an elder or a leader in the church, they actually desire a noble task. It's actually a good desire to have, to, to shepherd God's flock, to shepherd people, to, to care for them and love them. But he says there are some competencies you must have. There are some character traits that you must carry. There are things that you have to be able to, to do here. And we, we see that list there. There's some conditions to be an elder. So the first thing we need to understand as we dig into this text is that the Bible is very clear that we have established leadership in the church. And he starts with to be shepherds of God's flock. Why are we called a flock? Is the Bible derogatory to Christians? No, not at all. We've got to understand this is written in the first century, right? It's an agricultural society. So when you look around, they understood what, what Peter was saying here. They understood by the illustrations they used. Jesus did the same thing in his ministry. He used parables to help people understand the spiritual truth he was speaking about. And he spoke about things that were very agricultural, like sowing seeds, and reaping fields because he used normal everyday illustrations to help us understand deeper spiritual truths. Helps us understand them in layman's terms. And to be honest, we're all like sheep. We all follow bad and good examples, right? Like when we're at work and people start gossiping, we just like follow everyone else and start gossiping, right? We easily get sucked into these these bad influences and like sheep, we just go along with it just blindly walking with everyone else, not realizing that that's not a good thing. But here's the thing. When sheep know and trust the shepherd, they'll follow him and him alone. And that's what God wants. He wants us to follow the good shepherd, Jesus in all things. And God does call men and women to be shepherds and to care for the flock. So Peter says, shepherds, care for the flock. Watch over them. Think about this in the first century. What did shepherds do? They, they cared for the flock, right? They were there to protect them, protect them from any dangers from the outside, to lead them, lead them to water, lead them to pastures, to care for them, sometimes to lay their life down for them. And even today, we're, we're called to shepherd the flock, right? Do the same thing, protect the flock from, from lies, from bad theology, from lies that come in and say, hey, you can sin, you can do this and that, this and that. And, and, and the shepherd is there to go, no, no, no. Guys, guys, that's not what we do. The shepherd is there to care for the flock. John MacArthur says, elders are to be people of compassion. They are to be shepherds of the flock and care for the people as Christ would care for them. We're meant to see how Jesus cares for us and we're meant to serve and love in that same respect. 
He says, not because you must, but because you are willing. He's like, we need to serve willingly, not begrudgingly like, oh, I have to do this. How often do we do that when we're serving others? And we're like, oh, I've got to go help my friend move. Oh, I've got to go serve on the Connect team at church today. And we do it begrudgingly, right? Peter's like, don't, don't do it begrudgingly. We need to do it willingly. You know, I've got to confess, like when I first started preaching, I'm like, oh, I've got to preach. I don't like being up here, right? But I recognize that I need to do it willingly. I'm here to sacrifice, to give to you the truth of God's word. It's a beautiful thing. So I had to reorientate my understanding on that. And he says, not for dishonest gain. This one has hurt more people in the current age than anything else. It's turned more people off Jesus, I believe, than anything else. That's where people go into leadership for dishonest gain, to make money. We see this in the prosperity gospel. There are leaders that just preach about money so then they can get more and more money for themselves. They're doing it by dishonest gain. It's turned so many people off the church. It's turned so many people off leadership. It's turned so many people off Jesus. Or people wanting to be in leadership just to be the person up the front. Just so they can show everyone how smart they are or show everyone or, or tell everyone what to do. I want to take control of this situation. There are times when we do. We do go into leadership for dishonest gain. And that's hurt a lot of people. He says, don't do it for dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Last week, Pastor Stu Cameron came and shared with us how we're meant to love each other, to serve each other with the gifts and talents that God has given us. And Peter here says, we, we should be eager to serve. We should be eager to use those gifts to love and serve one another. So the question is, are you eager to serve? Or is it a bit like, ah, don't have the time for that. He continues, not lording over those who are entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. He starts with not lording over them. Do we know that Christian leadership is different? It's actually a responsibility, not a right. Like it's a weight and responsibility to care and love and serve, not a right to come in and domineer and get people to do what you want to do. You see, Christian leadership is bottom up, not top down. It's meant to come under to serve and to love. It's servant-hearted, not domineering. And Peter gets this understanding of church leadership directly from Jesus. In Matthew 20, Jesus says, Jesus called them together, talking about the disciples. And said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Then in verse 28, he goes, let me give you an example of this. Just as the Son of Man, talking about himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, Jesus contrasts Christian leadership and worldly leadership here. He's saying, look at the worldly leadership. It's all about lording over them, domineering them. Not so with you guys. With you guys, it's meant to be undergirding, supporting, loving, shepherding. You guys, you want to see an example of this? Look at me. Jesus himself, who's the son of God, who could have came and said, everyone bow down to me. You wash my feet. You get me my meal. He could have demanded whatever he wanted, and he would have been right to do that because he is the son of God. But he didn't. He came and washed their feet. He went to the cross to die for their sins. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. 
So does this mean that all Christian leaders have to do everything everyone says? Well, no, that's impossible, right? But they had to lead with all wisdom and respect, with a heart to serve the flock and do what's best for the whole flock, not just certain individuals all the time. You know, there is a weight for the leaders in the church to go, I've got to weigh up what's best for the entire flock. You can't bow to every request from every single person, but there are times when you do. There are times where you've got to weigh that up with all wisdom. And then he says, be examples to the flock. This is a hard one, right? To be an example to everyone. So my question is to you, is you as a leader, where you lead in your family, where you lead in work, wherever you lead in your influence, are you an example to people of the reality that you're a Christian? Do they look at you and go, ah, they're a Christian. I know that by the way they lead. I know that by the way they treat everyone around here. You know, being an example to the flock, it's, it's a heavy burden. Because leaders in the church, they're human. They struggle with all the same things that you struggle with on a daily basis. All the things that you struggle with throughout the week, they struggle with too. But they're called to lay down their life to be an example of obedience, love, and faith to the flock. You know, you should never enter into church leadership in any form without actually considering the cost and the responsibility. But Peter goes on and says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. Let me be very clear. Jesus is the head of the church. Not me. Not the Pope. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the one that loves us. He's the one that leads us. He's the one that protects us. He's the one that that teaches us through his word. And elders and pastors overseas, they're all under shepherds. They serve under the lordship of Jesus. It's like this photo you'll actually see behind me. You'll see the guy out the front. That would be representation of Jesus. He's out the front. He's the head of the church. He's the one that died for our sin. He's the one that we follow, right? And he calls under shepherds over here to keep the flock following Jesus. That's what leadership in the church is meant to do. It's like, hey, guys, we're following him. Let's keep following him. There's some that are hurt that they pick up and they carry but they're trying to direct everyone to Jesus. So if the elders or pastors, they're leading contrary to Jesus' command and the Bible, then there's an issue. Elders are to follow Jesus, to be obedient to him and under his lordship and actually lead from that place. So after, Jesus, uh, after Peter addresses the elders and the pastors and the overseas, he turns his attention now to the flock. In verse 5, he says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So he actually starts here, he says, in the same way. We've heard this a lot in this letter. Peter actually starts a lot of these verses throughout throughout this letter with in the same way. First he spoke about submitting to God, right? We submit to his ways. And then we're meant to submit to authorities, to show them the love and the grace of God. Then we're meant to submit to our bosses. And then he brings it into the home. He says, husbands and wives, submit to one another. Now he's turning his attention to the church. So he's saying, in the same way, everything I've been speaking about in this letter, we're meant to care for one another. We're meant to watch over one another. We're meant to do it willingly. We're meant to be eager to serve one another in the flock. And he says, you who are younger. So is he talking about younger in age? Yeah, but he's also talking about younger in faith. Like I came to faith at the age of 33. There were people in the faith a lot longer than me. So there were younger people at the start that were teaching me the truth about Scripture, teaching me the truth about who God is. And I had to submit myself under that. I'm like, oh, you're a young and you don't know what you're talking about. 
Well, I'd just come into the faith. They knew a lot more than me. I mean, if we take the example of Pastor Michael Hands, he leads all of our family of churches. He's been called by God into that position. I believe that. He's like 13 years younger than me. But I believe he's been called to that position. So I willingly submit to him because I believe that God is working in and through him. And so I submit to him because I want to see God do what God can only do. But it takes me to actually come to that place and go, oh, I have to submit. I'm willing to submit. Many of you have been faith longer than me. But you're willing to submit here at Cooley because you're obedient to God and his word. And it's beautiful. But what is submission? Well, submission is an act or a fact of accepting or yielding to a superior force, which is God, or to the will and authority of another person. To, to submit, it means putting others before yourself. It's not always doing what I want to do. So it's putting God's desires above our desires. And God desires leadership in the church to shepherd and care for the whole flock. So submission is outworked in 100% obedience to God. And part of that obedience is submission to elders. That's not to say that you can't disagree with the elders or you can't express your opinion. You absolutely can. As I said before, there's a lot of things that have been done by church leadership over the years. But Christians who practice submission are not blind followers, but active participants in what God is doing in the church. It's actively engaging in it. And the elders and the pastors and the overseers, they must make decisions for the whole flock based on what they believe God is directing them as a church. And that doesn't always suit everyone, right? Like I'm sure many of you come here and go, I prefer different music, or I prefer a different form of service, or I prefer you do different ministries. And I understand that. But we believe God has called us for this space at this time, for a specific movement here in Coolangatta. And as leaders and pastors and elders, we have to make decisions that we believe God is calling us to. Timothy Keller says, Submission is not about being passive, but about being active in loving and serving others. It's like, oh, I just have to submit and just, you know, do what everyone says. It's not about that. True submission is coming and going, okay, I want to be active in this, to see what God wants to do, to love and serve those around me. But here's the thing. Submission, it takes humility. It says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. I love that. He starts with all of you. You, me, all of us. It says, clothe yourselves with humility. I love how he, he pens this letter. How he says, clothe. That means we need to put on. It's an active word. We need to do it. It's not like, oh, humility is just going to happen to me by osmosis. I don't need to do nothing about that. Just wait till it just starts to pop out of me. No, Peter's like, hey, you need to clothe yourself with it. We need to have spiritual disciplines. It's something we need to do and practice. John Wesley says, humility is the willingness to serve others and put their needs before our own. Humility is something we must actively choose, do, and practice. And we need to put on humility because God hates pride. He hates it. He says, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. God opposes the proud. It doesn't matter where you look in Scripture. When it talks about pride, God hates it. And here, God is actively opposing the proud. So if you want God actively against you, it's by actually being proud. It's by practicing pride. Because God actually opposes it. And our pride sometimes comes out when we're overcritical of the church and church leadership, when we think, hey, if I had the job, I'd do it way better than that. Just remember that list at the beginning? The weight that we actually put on our leaders? 
and they stumble in one and we're like, see, you need to be better. I don't like it when you do that. And yes, there are things that we need to be better at. But how many of us point and we do the same things? How many of us are hypocritical and like, you should be a better communicator when we're not good, good communicators? Like, where is the grace that we actually have for one another? And look, I'll be the first to tell you that I am not perfect at all as a leader in the church. Amen? Amen, yes. There's a couple over here. Just ask the leadership team. Ask my wife. Ask anyone who's close to me. I am not perfect in all those things. Trust me. So I'm not saying that we're great at this stuff and you can't call that stuff out. Leadership is hard. It's especially hard in the church because you're on 24-7. You're never not an elder. You're never not a pastor regardless of what situation you're in. You actually carry that burden 24-7. No matter what you're doing, you are a pastor. You're meant to be an example to the flock. That, that, that's a bit of a heavy burden to carry. You're carrying the burden of bringing God's word to the people. No pastor in the world wants to lead people astray. Not good, no good pastor wants to lead them astray. They want to bring truth that will set you free. It's the life of sacrifice, to be honest. Now, I need to be very clear here. Very, very clear. I am so blessed by this community. I am so loved and cared for by you guys. I have elders. I thought, yep, I thought I'd do better. I have elders that care for me. You guys are so encouraging to me. You guys are so loving towards me. This is rare. Church, this is rare to have such a beautiful community that supports their elders, supports their leaders, supports their pastors. So first and foremost, I just want to say thank you so much for the grace that you show us, but also the love and the care and the prayers that you show us as well. I'm really thankful for it. So what I'm about to say is not the way I'm feeling at all, but I know there are many pastors and elders that are not honoured and supported by the communities and they have unrealistic expectations put on them and they suffer as a result. You know, I speak to a lot of pastors and when I speak to them like, how are you going? I feel like it's my job to just come alongside them and go, how are you? And many of them feel alone because they're constantly pouring out and there's constantly this expectation on them, but no one comes in and says, but how are you? And so they feel alone, they feel unappreciated. They get multiple emails of how badly they're doing and no one's sending them an email of how great they're doing to encourage them. And then that breaks my heart because it's breaking them down. There's a recent study into church leadership and it was found that 71% of pastors stated they were burnt out and they battled depression beyond fatigue on a weekly and even daily basis. 71%. Why is that? Because they're human. They're just like you. They're not Superman or Superwoman. They have the same struggles that you face in life. They have the same struggles with family, with relational breakdown. They have the same struggles with health and, and friends and all that kind of stuff that you struggle with, they struggle with too. And it can seem really lonely. They can seem unappreciated and not loved by their community that they're, they're laying their lives down for. Church, our leaders across the church need your support and your prayers too, just as much as you do. I mean, we've all heard of pastor's kids walking away from church, right? Or marriages break up because... The expectation on the leaves is so great that they're continually pouring out and then there's neglect in the family. Is that what we want as a church? Do we want to burn out our leaders so that their marriages and their families fall apart? Of course not. And, and Peter here is helping us understand the reality. This is what we'll do unless we actually humble ourselves and seek the health and the welfare of our leaders. 
Because we know if there's a healthy leader, then there's a good chance that there will be a healthy church, right? Does this mean you have no opinion? No, not at all. Like I said before, I'm not saying that all church leaders are doing the right thing. Please don't hear that. There are many that are hurting people. I understand that. But we need to show some humility. Understand that most, most elders and pastors and overseers, they're human and they're doing the best job they can. They really are. And you know what? Sometimes pride can sneak in as righteousness. Like I see something and I need to call that out because I'm righteous and they're not. And sometimes we go on these missions to, to find something. We're just looking for something that we can come and go, see, I knew it. You're not perfect. Amen. Yes, they're not perfect. Yes, I'm not perfect. But how do we do that? Can we come with, with love and grace to bring correction? But most of the time we, we hide it through righteousness and it's still pride. John Calvin says, pride is the opposite of humility. It's a sin that is especially dangerous because it can lead us to believe that we're better than we really are. I can fall into this trap just as much as you guys. You know, when I go on holidays or when I visit other churches, when I'm at conferences, I can look at stuff and go, oh, they should do that better. Or, oh, they could do their welcome team better. Or, oh, that's really interesting how they communicated that. And I can find myself just descending into pride and judgment. I can find myself thinking that, oh, if I was leading here, it'd be much better. And then the Holy Spirit convicts me. It's like, what am I doing? Why can't I be looking for what God is doing, what a great stuff he's doing, and, and bringing encouragement and uplifting encouragement to the leaders? So we can all fall into this trap. So we know that God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Do you want the favor of God in your life? Anyone? Yeah, a few of you. Awesome. Here it is. The favor of God rests on those that with all humility submit and work for the good of the flock. They actually set aside their preferences and they're seeking the best possible outcome for everyone in the church. <clears throat> and I, and I wonder what I want to do is I want to pause because I want to honor many of you here today. Many of you do this so well. Many of you would prefer the older hymns an older style of church, but, but you sort of put aside your preferences for the good of the whole, that we would see the next generation come to know Jesus. That's a beautiful heart that you have, that you're going, look, I would prefer something different, but I see what God is doing and I want to be part of that. It's so beautiful and I thank you for that. In verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time and cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He says, therefore, humble yourselves under God and he will actually lift you up in the time of need, in, in your time of suffering and pain. He'll undergird you and support you through those hard times. That's the favor of God. It's not getting your favorite Ferrari. It's not getting a house on the beach. The favor of God is that God is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you when you're suffering and going through pain and, and he will actually support you. C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, is thinking of yourself less. You see, there's false humility and there's true humility. False humility is going, I'm useless. Why would God even love me? I'm going to come under God and go, oh God, what's the point? Why would you even use me? That's, that's false humility. True humility is coming under God and going, Lord, I have these preferences, but I trust and honor you. I want to go into sin, but I trust and honor your word. Lord, I'm going to put aside my preferences for the kingdom of God. That, that, that's actual true humility coming under God. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 
Now, I'm not going to go into this too much. There's been 50 million servants preached on just this verse, so you would have heard them multiple times. But he says, cast all your anxiety on him. Anxiety is this fear of the future, right? Not knowing what's coming. But we know what's coming because Jesus has redeemed us from sin and death. We have a hope in us that others don't have, that we are part of a kingdom, that we have been redeemed, restored, forgiven of our sin, and we will spend eternity with God in his beautiful creation. We actually have a hope in us. So we can cast all our anxiety on him, any fear of the future. We can cast it on God. Why? Because he cares for us, right? He loves us like a good father. He's saying, come to me, tell me what you're worried about and let me strengthen you. Let me undergird you. And he does that because he cares. But how do we do that? We just simply do it through prayer. And then Peter tells us where some of our anxiety actually comes from in verse 8. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. He says, be alert. Whenever you see something like that, it's like warning. Warning, guys. Look, listen to what I'm about to say. This is a reality that you need to know. That the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Do we know that there's an enemy to the flock? Do we know that there's someone circling the flock consistently, wanting to attack the flock? It's very clear here. It's Satan. He wants to fight against the church, right? He wants to attack the flock. And he'll attack you in any way he can to stop us living in our calling and purpose as a church, to stop us loving one another. He's a prowling lion looking to see who he can devour. How does he devour us? Mainly through sin. It's mainly through tempting us, tempting us into lust, into pride. You know, he can't have your soul. You are redeemed and restored, and you are bought at a price by the blood of Christ. You are secure in him. He can't touch you in that way, but he can tempt you into sin. And when we engage in sin, sometimes it can feel like we've been devoured, right? Sometimes when we're in sin, it's like, oh, this is all-consuming. I feel like there's nothing I can do about it. I feel like I'm separated from God. And this is what Peter's warning about here. The devil is keen to devour you through sin. But Peter tells us, resist him and stand firm in the faith. I love this word, resist him. If you actually look at the Greek, it's not like, oh, I've got to try and resist that temptation because I really want to do it. I'm like, oh, I've got to try and stop it, please. It resist means to actually stand against. It's this battle stance. It's like, oh, you're coming? Cool. Let's go. I'm actually going to resist you. I'm going to fight against you. And I'm going to do that by standing firm on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. You want to come? Let's go. It's actually this, this moment of actually standing against him and fighting against the darkness. James says the same thing, basically the same words in James 4. He says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Is he going to flee from you going, oh, please don't? Absolutely not. But if you're a Christian who knows who you are, knows the spirit that fills you, and you actually take a stance against him and go, cool, let's go. He's going to be like, oh, not you. I'm looking for an easy prey, right? Because he doesn't want to fight. Because he knows that we have the authority of Christ, the Holy Spirit living in us. He's looking for easy prey. And his weapon is temptation to sin. It's enticing Christians into this lust of the flesh. And one of Satan's favorite tactics is to sow disunity in the church. He wants us to be fighting amongst ourselves. 
So we're ineffective for spreading the gospel. So we have to fight for unity, grace, and love in the church. And we do this by submission and humility. This whole letter that Peter writes is written practically how to resist the devil. All the way through, he's talking about submission. He's talking about obedience. He's talking about serving one another. He's talking about the fact that we need to love one another well, rejecting sin, living in righteousness. He says, be holy as I am holy, says the Lord God. These are all ways that we actually fight against him. And we fight against him by living out the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and yes, self-control. We forget that last one. We're meant to exhibit self-control in these areas. This is how we fight against him. When people are not loving, we're meant to come in with love. When people are unforgiving, we're meant to come in with forgiveness and grace. When people are gossiping, we come in with a different angle. Right? We're meant to be light in the darkness. This is how we beat back the darkness in the world. Timothy Keller says, The devil is a skilled deceiver. But we can resist him by knowing the truth of the gospel and living in obedience to Christ. This is exactly what Peter is telling us here. In verse 9 he says, Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Guys, this is how all believers suffered all over the world, all over the ages. What you face on a daily basis is the same for all the people who love Jesus. We're not unique. We all suffer in this life. Amen? We all suffer pain loss, struggles. We all suffer especially from temptation and sin. Know that you're not alone in this fight against Satan. We actually do this together. We must all fight. Elders, pastors, flock, all of us, we need to fight for each other. We need to fight for that unity. And Peter encourages the flock, you and me, that we have a power to resist that's not derived from within, but supplied by God, the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Shaman, would you like to come up, please? Thank you. In verse 10, he says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. He says, If you are in Christ, God himself will restore you. God himself will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. This is the beauty of the gospel, right? But if we're not in him, If we don't know Jesus, then we're under the power of the darkness. Satan has his way with us. But we can get out of darkness and come into the beautiful light of Christ if we would just repent of our sin, put our faith and trust in Jesus. Because he has bought you at a price. He wants to take you out of the kingdom of darkness and put you into his wonderful kingdom of light. We have an option here. If we would just trust God... We would just trust his word, trust in the power of the Holy Spirit and just follow Jesus in obedience. We would find strength and power to face all the sufferings of this world. And we do it in victory because we would have a peace knowing that's only for a little while. And we have an eternal reward that's coming to each and every believer. Here's the truth. Jesus has won the victory over the power of sin and the devil for us on the cross. This is the whole reason why Jesus came. Amen. Because we are under the death penalty. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I've sinned. You've sinned. And the judgment for that sin is separation from God for eternity. And God goes, no, that's not good enough. I love them way too much to leave them there. I'm going to come in the body. I'm going to be born. 
I'm going to walk this out perfectly. And I'm going to take your sin on the cross. I love you so much that I will bear the sin of the world, my sin, your sin. And when I die, I'll die in your place. I'll take your punishment. And when I go to the grave, I'll bury that sin forever. And when I rise again, I rise again in victory over Satan, sin, and death for all who repent and believe. Hallelujah. Do we know how much Jesus had to humble himself to come in the body? God himself coming down and being part of his own creation? The Bible says that Jesus didn't count equality with God, something to be held on to, something to be grasped, but humbled himself, came in the form of a man, humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross that he will redeem you and me. That's true humility. That's who we look to when we go, Lord, how do I walk this out? The devil is a defeated enemy. But church, we must resist him together as one flock until Jesus returns. Amen? So what's he talking about here? He's saying that there is leadership in the church, but that leadership has to lead differently. They lead out of love and service to protect the flock. And we're all one flock. We're all under the one shepherd, Jesus Christ, right? We're in this together. And we do this through submission and humility. We have to, all of us, clothe ourselves. Clothe ourselves on a daily basis with humility. But no, there's an enemy to the flock. There's one out there who's trying to sow dysfunction. Trying to sow sin in the midst of us. But here's the thing. We have victory over Satan, sin and death through the cross of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to these words and take these with you. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we just thank you so much for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the grace that is poured out on each and every one of us. Lord, I know for myself, you pour so much grace out on me that I don't deserve. There are times where I'm judgmental, that I'm proud. But I know for us here that we fall short a lot of the time, God. Lord, I pray that in this place, in this moment, if there are people who have been hurt by leaders, Lord, I pray you bring healing by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we are so sorry when we don't represent you well. When we don't live the way you've called us to live. So God, I pray that you would bring healing now, Holy Spirit. Lord, I know there must be people out there who are leading in their workplace and they feel like they're just under so much pressure, so much expectation. God, I pray you bring your peace upon them. A peace that passes understanding. That they'd be able to lead out of the wellspring that they get from you, Lord. And as we're in this moment of prayer, you might never have actually put your faith and trust in Jesus. I'm here to tell you today that God wants you to be restored, to be forgiven, to be taken out of the darkness and brought into his wonderful light. And all we need to do is repent and put our faith and trust that Jesus died for our sins and he rose again in victory. If that is you, 
and you want to receive that free forgiveness from God, I just ask that you would just raise your hand now. I'd love to pray for you. You can do that now. Lord, we thank you so much that you are here, you are present, that you are moving by the power of your spirit. God, help us. Help us to be like you, Lord, where we would willingly submit, we would willingly clothe ourselves with humility that maybe people would see your goodness, your mercy, and your grace in us in turn and put their trust in you, Lord. Use us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Would you like to stand with us as we worship the Good Shepherd, the one who's worthy of our praise and our singing? Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or our Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.